Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. We uh, just got off of a video conference call, and I saw how you've been recording at home from your home bar, and that made me really jealous because I've been recording at home from what used to be a storage area in my house. So I feel like I need to step it up. Yeah, come on, raise your game. <laughs> I am my my home bar, my home office. They're interchangeable to me at this point. Is in my garage, and I have a pretty elaborate home bar setup in my garage. And my wife has like a dedicated home office that she works in all the time. But I'm just kind of basically working every day sitting at my bar. (laughs) Right. So I'm thinking that I need to get a couple of arcade cabinets set up in here. Maybe some like neon signage, make this thing look like an old like 80s arcade. I feel like that would make me feel really cool if I recorded. Now, that's a great idea. It's actually a great idea for me too. like a a little an arcade game would be great. And it'd be a great addition. They have a little like two-third size arcade cabinets called Arcade 1-Up, and they sell them at like Walmart and Target. You can get like an arcade cabinet that's got three or four games on it for like $200. So Really? Yeah, this, not a bad investment if you want like a little multi-game arcade in your home bar. I think that's, that's probably a great investment for me to make right now, considering our economic climate and the baby on the way. I'm sure that would go over incredibly well, so I'm definitely going to do that. Hey, you got a stimulus check coming at some point. You could buy a couple <laughs> arcade cabinets with <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I did see like Costco. I think it was Costco, but like the stimulus program was announced and then they immediately had a TV on on sale at Costco for like exactly $1,200. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good investment opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we jump into the updates for this week? Got a little bit to talk about before we jump into uh, your interview today with Joel Kitchens. Uh, but first off, Governor Evers extended the safer at home order last week, talked about it a little bit, but then he also has introduced what he's calling the Badger bounce back, which is kind of similar in a way to like Trump's three phase plan. Uh, But it's basically a series of steps for getting Wisconsin kind of back on track, getting the healthcare system moving forward and businesses opening up and stuff like that. You read through the bounce back, the Badger bounce back program a little bit. Uh, Can you tell me what this is all about and what uh, people can find in it? Yeah, I mean, after they announced the the May 26th opening, or not even opening, May 26th is the next extension deadline. I've been talking to business owners basically ever since who have been trying to figure out how they came up with that date and what that's going to mean. What, like, what are our guidelines for how we're going to open again? And Evers, a couple of days later, announced the Badger Bounce Path program. It generally, in, in broad terms, it says we need two weeks of positive tests going, like the number of positive tests on the general decline. So it doesn't mean like, all right, we have 150 today and 120 tomorrow and 80 the next day, and then it goes back up to 200. Like that doesn't start the clock over. It's just like a downward trend for two straight weeks. But it also calls for the capacity to perform at least 12,000 tests a day, the capacity to contact and trace all positive tests, and to also like prepare for all of our hospitals to be ready to continue to, all right, you got to stop eating potato chips. (laughs) 
it's, it's so it's distracting me. I have my recording <laughs> muted, so you can't hear me on the recording. I forgot that you could totally still hear me through Slack. I'm eating a I'm eating a salad. My wife brought me dinner because she knew I was going to oh. be working late. It's it's crunching so loudly. I'm like I can't, I can't stop. I can't Sorry. focus. <laughs> So anyway, there are some guidelines for reopening, which is good. They're they're general. And as you'll hear in the interview later with Joel Kitchens, you definitely like more specifics as a business owner. You'd want it to be a little more granular. But at least there's some guidelines to say like, okay, as long as we see that in general, the cases are going down and that the hospitals are prepared to handle any cases that might arise and that we can trace the cases that arise, well, then we can reopen. If nothing else, it gives the legislature, who in a lot of ways could control the purse strings here, to say, okay, we need to fund more tests or we need to fund more contact tracers to make this happen and to get things open more quickly. Because the federal government has not made testing that big of a priority. So yeah, it starts to give some guidelines, not just for business owners, but like for the legislature to say like, hey, if I'm gonna abdicate to open up, the governor has now said, all right, show me this. Let's make sure we have this. And now they could, um, as individual assemblymen and senators or as a body, could take some efforts to go like, all right, now we've met this. And now if you don't want to open up, now we have a, a leg to stand on. Um, right. And I think everybody wants it to open up. I, I, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that you see out on social media and in conversations of people like, well, the media just wants to punish Trump. It's like, the, well, I mean, the media is getting punished by this situation as much as anybody. And right. I don't want to plead sorrow in a time of that everyone is suffering. So I, I don't want to dwell on that. But like media does not make money on this thing going on much longer. This is bad for everybody. Right. Um, we, we now have a, a plan for us to reopen at least like a, an outline, which is a step in the right direction. Meanwhile, yeah. the Tavern League of Wisconsin is pushing for a May 1st opening. And I've probably talked to two dozen business owners, emergency responders, and government officials over the last 48 hours. And of those, one has said they're gung-ho on a May 1st opening. That seems so wild to me, because that's next Friday. Like, I, I can't imagine everything opening back up on next Friday. Well, especially with, you know, you had the early surge in cases in the Milwaukee area in Wisconsin, and then in Dane County had some, but now you've had this burst in Brown County, where now they're, they're over 300 cases that is a jump of, I think that's like double since last Friday. So you have this surge traced to a, a meatpacking plant in the Brown County area. That shows that there's not like this tight control like we want to think there is. So right now, I think a lot of people are on edge. Let's see how we can contain that. Let's see if we can continue to keep cases flat. Like that's kind of the trend right now. For over the last week, I was looking at the numbers earlier today. We had a dip down to about 80 new cases in a day. And now we're back up consistently in that 150 to 175 new cases reported each day for the last seven days, which is, which is not that it, it's nice to see it plateau, but it's not going down yet. So hopefully, right. you know, if we start to see it drop to 120, 100, get it under 100 new cases per day, that would start to show you some confidence that we're heading in the right direction. And maybe we get there by May 15th. Like I would, I would love to see that. But I also talked to a lot of business owners who have said they don't really care about that. They're not even as worried about Memorial Day, which surprised me. I've talked to many business owners who said that, hey, I'll sacrifice Memorial Day. Let's be safe. 
let's make sure it's 100% secure, that we're 100% prepared to track these cases and keep it contained. And let's have a great July, August, September, and October. What, what a lot of business owners told me is they are very afraid of opening up too early, seeing a surge come in, and then having to close down again because they, they feel like that's what could end up costing them July 4th, July, and August. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that plateauing, because if you look at a graph of like confirmed cases on the national level, it looks like we are at that plateauing point, if not just before it. Now is not the time to open things back up once we've started to even off. We have to wait until we have been showing that we have been declining in cases for a while. Then we can start to open things up again. If you start opening things up right when we start to even off, we're just going to go up in cases more. So I, I I can't see any possibility of a May 1st. Like that's literally next Friday. That seems so wild to me. Couple weeks after that, yeah, I could see us starting to introduce programs to start opening certain things up again. But for, for people who are thinking that this is just going to be a, okay, the day is here. Now we open everything back up. I just don't see that happening. And one thing that We've got a couple of interesting conversations coming up on the podcast. Today we have Joel Kitchens and we talk at length about this. And tomorrow we have J.R. Schoenfeld from Chives who has operated restaurants in the Green Bay area, has multiple restaurants in Door County now. And basically businesses are still figuring out exactly what it looks like to reopen. So to say that they'd be ready May 1st to do it responsibly, the bars I, I talked to, Bobby McDonald from the Bayside Tavern said, I don't know that my staff would want to come in and work yet and be entirely comfortable doing that, let alone opening up and having all my servers and masks and gloves and trying to envision that at a small community bar like the Bayside. And JR from, from Chives had some really interesting comments about how he needs to innovate and change how he's going to operate his restaurant to make it work in the, in the weeks and months ahead, potentially for the year ahead. And I've talked to a lot of other business owners who are in the same boat they're saying they're going to change their menus. They're going to, in some cases, don't even plan on opening a dining room, at least until July and just doing takeout and pickup and potentially delivery. So there are so many things that are, are still up in the air for restaurant owners and, uh, and hotel owners, too, who said, I haven't had my employees in my business for the last month and a half. If you told me to open up in a week, we wouldn't be prepared to do that. So. A lot of different things, um, a lot of things for business owners to consider now. And we're going to continue talking to them just to find out like what is what is the way forward right now and what is the way to some version of of opening business in Door County. Right. Well, and it's interesting that you talk about being safe because it's there's two perspectives on it. You have to think about what can I do to make sure that my business is safe for customers, but also how do I make it so that my employees are safe from customers? And when everybody's interacting with each other, you've got to look at it from both sides. You're, you're not just exposing customers to your restaurant, but your customers are exposing your employees to their, their interactions as well. So it's kind of a multi-angled approach. There, there may be like, I'm, I might not be thinking about everything here, but the first one I actually think could, that could open are like small retail establishments. So if you think of a lot of our Door County small businesses, our galleries, our shopping, um, like summer seasonal shopping establishments, you know, if, if you think back, like how many times have you been in there where there have been more than 10 people in there at a time? Like the, it's usually you and a couple of others. And right. so there's a feasible way that they could operate without 
drastically changing their business model. Like you'd still have to do more sanitizing and cleaning as customers come and go. You'd still have to have an eye on it. Be like, all right, I can't take it if if like two families show up. Like don't be coming in here with your four kids and now another family with their kids. Like that might not be feasible, but a couple of people at a time, that actually makes a lot more sense than allowing a Walmart or a Target or Walgreens to be open that might have a couple hundred people in the in the place. Right. So and a, and a huge amount of square footage to keep sanitized and clean and, and keep an eye on people and keep the spacing. So you could make the argument that the first phase would be small retail establishments. Right. That's That doesn't seem to be much on the conversation on a larger scale, but hopefully there's, as more and more people get anxious to open, there's somebody out there, and I, I don't know this for sure right now if there is, but somebody at, at the government level to start really thinking about this from a small business owner standpoint. Right. Miles, is there anything else that we need to chat about before we jump into your interview with Joel Kitchens? Um, not much other than, you know, like the Wisconsin or Door County's numbers remain the same. Kiwani the same. Brown County seeing that surge. They now have more than 300 cases. Um, that's the bulk of the growth in the state of Wisconsin right now. That's the, the hot spot that people are focused on. So that's what we'll be watching in the um, couple of days ahead to see if, if they get a handle on that and get a squeeze on that and hopefully does not spread to the surrounding communities. Right. Well, let's jump into your conversation with Joel Kitchens. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Okay, now joining me by phone for the podcast today is our local assemblyman, Joel Kitchens. Joel, thanks for hopping on and doing this by phone with me today. No, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. What have the last few weeks been like for you? Just kind of like the easiest stretch you've ever had as a representative? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. But I mean, everybody's life has been turned upside down. But, um, you know, I, obviously I spent huge amounts of time on the phone. And, and things, have, things evolved so quickly. And, you know, I hope you're going to even this podcast out pretty quickly because a week from now it'll be obsolete i'm sure yep yeah that's yeah. that's definitely the case yeah. what are some of the difficulties in doing your job right now Ver, like what do you lose not having the in-person contact or the opportunities to meet in kind of a normal fashion or are you finding that there's benefits to kind of this new way of doing it just in general yeah you know it's a little of both i mean in, in some ways I, I spend an awful lot of time contacting my constituents and talking to them and emailing them so i, I do have a lot of time to do that um, you know, and we're putting out these, you know, putting out updates every single day, basically through this whole um, crisis. So that is, that's taken a lot of time, which which normally, when I have staff, of course, it helps a lot with that. And they do a great job, but um, you know, obviously, you don't get the personal contact. You don't really get to go out there and meet new people, and I think face on the face generally a lot better than you know on the phone or by email, certainly. Yeah, you know, and so you miss something good and bad. Yeah, and like you said, like if you. The thing you miss, I think for me as a reporter and probably for you as a representative is when you make a phone call, you are directly reaching out to a specific person to get a specific point of feedback. And if you're just out and about, you hear random things. You know, you you get a random bit of feedback or a conversation you never thought you were going to have that day. You learn something from it that's totally out of the wheelhouse of what, not that you don't learn by calling people, but you learn something from somebody you never thought you, were, you would have thought to call. So um, yeah. I'm sure you yeah. have some of that too. That's a really good point because, you know, if I only talk to the people that contact my office, it's really, a, that's a pretty tiny percentage of people that really are watching everything that we do and all that. So you miss out on the, the vast majority of people who 
just sort of superficially maybe kind of keep an eye out a little bit what we're doing. Um, so I, I only talk to those people kind of within the same bubble. It tends to be more. That's a good point that you make that when you're out and about, you meet those other people. Yeah. And then I think those those random connections are the things that really do change your mind. As much as people can badger you and, and pummel you with information, and in my case, I get it in terms of like letters to the editor or emails to our office. A lot of times I find that I'm, I'm oh, no. more shifted in my thinking or more shifted in what I'm covering or how I see our, our county and our community by kind of a random conversation at a coffee shop or bar or a high school basketball game. Um, that's where a lot of times I find like the most interesting story ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, we have that in common, I guess. And I do like when we get back to normal, when people invite me to their coffee groups or whatever, where I get to talk to people that don't, aren't the people that contact my office deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I know we've mentioned that uh, before in our, our phone conversations. One thing about your email, you've been, you've been sending it almost daily uh, for the last couple of weeks. Once COVID really hit home for people, um, I think it's been a, a great way to at least, I mean, even for people who disagree with you on issues, it's a point of communication and it's an update on where things are heading. I, I think it's a really great service. So if people wanted to sign up for that email, where would they go to do that? Yeah. And I, I, I won't give them the address or anything. They, they can look it up easily online and uh, okay. just contact my office and tell them they'd like to sign up. We have had a lot of people that have signed up for my newsletters. I think word has gotten around because we try, we try to, first of all, as much as possible, we try not to be political and just present the information. I, you know, I do have to give my opinion on things sometimes, and then, you know, but I, as much as possible, we try not to be political, and we try to gear it a lot towards what's happening here, you know, as opposed to like the national news and all that. Right. And and I think we are very up to date. A lot of times, we put out stories within a half hour of an announcement and stuff like that. So so um, we have had a lot of really good feedback on that. So you know, I think all of us are kind of trying to find a way to help through all this and that's been kind of rewarding for us to do that. Yeah. And it's like, obviously it's coming from a, a legislator's office and um, you're, you're going to get that bias. But like I said, whether or not you agree, like I, I think that information just helps paint a picture of, of what people are working on and, and what's moving down the pike and, uh, and not everybody does it. So that's, um, you've often said that like Door County is, is maybe one of the more engaged constituencies in the entire state. Um, and maybe yeah. explain what you've meant by that when you've talked to me about that in the past. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at the number of people that vote, um, we're in the top couple in the in the whole state. Um, so we, we have a, a big voter turnout, and we, you know, my office will tell you um, when they talk to their colleagues, the other staffers in other offices, nobody gets as many contacts as we do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the numbers of emails, the number of phone calls, and all that. So we do have a very engaged citizenry, and I think that's, you know, honestly, that's probably one of the reason the pulse is being very successful because I think people around here and you know, I, I think, you know, North, North County, I guess, has, a, you know, probably above average education level and all, and just more interested in, in, in policy. So I think that's a reason that the Pulse has been so successful is that um, people just really are hungry for, hungry for that information. Yeah, I would guess that, like, um, this is one of those few corners of the state where plan commission meetings are hotly attended <laughs> on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah. Not all of them, but there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, attention paid to even the smallest developments up here as, as evidenced by our, our website counts, uh, um, some places, if it bleeds, it lead, leads, if it's development, it leads here. <laughs> People just go nuts. Well, let's talk about COVID. The thing that's obviously on everybody's mind and is part of everybody's family zoom and FaceTime conversations. And basically the only conversation right now, unfortunately, yep. um, the governor yep. yesterday released some guidelines for how 
businesses might start to reopen in phases. I'm curious what you thought of those guidelines that came out um, just in general and what you think we should be looking at to, uh, or I guess first those guidelines and then also the the extension of the safer at home order to May 26th. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was very disappointed on Friday when he announced the date that he, that, that he would extend or wanted to extend the stay at home through without giving any criteria for, you know, what was that, that was based on. He sort of kept saying, Oh, it's science, but okay. What science, where are you getting this? And, and, and how did you arrive at that date? And it is a date that's, that's really much later than anyone else's. Um, so I, I was very disappointed with that, and he also didn't go into it at all, you know, what would happen once it started. So I just think it was a mistake to roll that out to announce that without a plan in place so you can reassure people. And I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people that are upset around the state, and, and, I, and, and that brought that on a little bit. So I think that that was a mistake the way he rolled that out. Um, now, yesterday, and I think partly it was in response to that uproar that that, that created. And I, and I will say too, though, that if we're going to do this and do it right and have people buy in, because we're going to have to continue social distancing and all that, we need to talk to people and explain why we're doing it. You can't, you know, it can't just be these are the orders, do it. You know, they have to buy in and understand that there's a really good reason for doing these things. So yesterday, when he came out with it, um, you know, I am much happier that he, you know, came out with a plan somewhat. Um, so I think, you know, most of it is based on you know, the, the recommendations put out by the White House. So I don't have a lot of problem at all with the, you know, what's going to happen in each of those stages. We're still working through that a little bit. But, you know, it's basically three phases once we start, you know, once we do start opening back up. I still have some concerns more with how do we decide when we begin this. Um, and I don't think the medical community wants a set date. They want, let's, let's follow these criteria and, and it shows then we can open back up. Um, you know, part of it was, was in agreement with what the White House put out as far as when the testing is going down for two weeks. And there's some behind that. I mean, the outside edge of the incubation period is two weeks. So two weeks is probably a logical, um, you know, time period. Some of the other things though, seem a little bit vague and arbitrary, um, he wants he wants us to have the capacity to do eighty five thousand tests a week. Um, well, that right now we have a capacity for seventy six hundred a day, so roughly fifty three thousand a week. But we're only actually doing fifteen hundred a day, so we have much more capacity right now than we're using. And they've opened it up basically and saying doctors can test anyone that they that they want to test. Um, now um, I know there have been some low. So I, I would just to interrupt you right okay. there. Um, that's a question that I, that I've been trying to figure out too. And that I think a lot of people have, um, been talking about on social media as well is, okay, we have the capacity to do more testing. Why aren't we doing 7,000 a day? And we, I think anybody listening probably knows somebody and maybe a lot of people who have told them I had a lot of symptoms. They didn't give me a test. They told me to stay home and, and shelter in place. Um, is that what you're still hearing from hospitals? Is there a reason they wouldn't start using those? And, and I guess my only thought would be like, they're still trying to hold on to them in case there's like a, a major surge. So they want to have some bank in place, yeah. but, or well, is it a lack of reagents still, or the number of swabs available? Like what, what are you yeah. hearing from well, well, medical professionals in okay. terms of why they're not just using all those tests? Because I think anybody knows that there are a lot of people with symptoms who aren't getting tested. Sure. Um, and I, I will say there have been some local shortages, like in Green Bay, I think, last week, because they've had a little bit of a surge there. 
that I think they were not testing people that were symptomatic, that weren't seriously ill, they just told them, yeah, stay home, which was what the old recommendation was. Um, I, I spoke with Brian Stevens, the CEO of Durham County Medical Center this morning, and he says that um, basically anybody that they want to test, they, they have the capacity to test it. Now, the state lab, um, well, they, they do some in-house, which are very, very fast, but those are that's a very limited number that they could do. Um, so they that's they reserve that for the cases where they need an answer like immediately. The state lab, they turn over in about 24 hours, um, and those they try to be a little bit careful. That's the more serious seriously ill. But the the ones that go out to private labs, when they when we started this, it used to take 10 days for those to come back. And our capacity at the beginning was like 200 tests a day, where now it's 7,600. Um, but they they've got that down to four days now. So those they can do as many as they want of those in your County anyway. One thing though that people are confused about a little bit is that I think people misunderstand a little who should be tested. There really is not very much value in testing people that do not show symptoms um, because it only it only um, detects the, the actual virus antibody. So you have to be actively shedding that at that time. And if you just give randomly to everyone, it would be it first off it'd be a very small number that would show that. And, and secondly, just because you test negative right now, you could go down the street and somebody cough on you and you could be positive later. So it doesn't mean anything really to just test asymptomatic people. So I think there's a misunderstanding about that. I hear from people saying, oh, everybody should be tested before they go back to work. Well, that wouldn't really, that, that's really no benefit. It just gives you sort of a false sense of security. It, I guess that would, there would be benefit to that if you were talking about like quarantining an area and you wanted to find out like what exists, who's got it and how do we, who do we lock down? Right. But yeah. and that is yeah, that is where when people say we need more capacity as we open up, you know, as we trace these people back as far as tracking them and, and who they came in contact with, it is valuable there. But just to just to give one to a, a random person so that they can go back to work, there's there's no value in that or very little value in that. Um, unless you did it like every day almost, you know. So um so th- that's a misunderstanding that people have that they think that you, you get get a test and that means you're clear, you know, but it doesn't at all. Um I know the Tavern League is pushing for a May 1st opening. Now, granted, this is the same organization that pushed to stay open on St. Patty's Day, but they, they're pushing for a May 1st opening. And, and, and last week, at least when we talked, you were kind of pushing, no, I shouldn't say pushing, but you were suggesting maybe we could do that as well. Um, do you think that's a good idea for bars and taverns to open on May 1st? And do you think that's a, a, a date that we should be looking at as a state to yeah. reopen businesses. Yeah, I don't think that I ever said that we should open on May 1st. What I have said is that would be a separate target, but it has to go by, you know, we need to go by those criteria. And that's what Ohio did. May 1st is their target, and but, you know, they're following those criteria. If if we don't meet those criteria, then we push it back. So I, I don't know that at this point, probably May 1st is not going to be realistic, but I do think, I do think we can be open before Memorial Day. I can't imagine that we're not going to meet the criteria that we need by then. But again, some of the criteria in Governor Evers' plan goes beyond what the, the the administration, the White House administration has recommended. One of the other things, I mean, yesterday he said... I mean, let's be, a, more, let's be honest. Should, shouldn't anybody be going beyond the White House at this point? <laughs> well, I, I think it's... Actually, I think the medical community, as far as the recommendations coming out, the people I've spoken to in the medical community are, don't have a problem with it because it's based on criteria. We're not setting a date which is saying it meets these criteria. But um, one of the things Governor Evers threw out was that, you know, we need a lot more PPE. And when he was asked with the press conference yesterday, well, you know, 
how much do we need? Well, I, I don't know. But we don't have it right now. So when you have kind of a vague thing like that, it's like, well, you can keep it closed forever and say it's not enough. So I'd like a little more certainty on that. We need set criteria. You know, when we meet this, and you know, and based on science, how much do we really need, and that kind of thing. So, um, so I, I'm not I'm not set on a particular date, but I do think it is important for us to open up as soon as we can. And um, you know, I know you and you've talked to business owners. I guess one of the issues I have is that everyone seems to approach from their own little narrow short-term situation. So, you know, I hear from, you know, retired people that are on a government pension where this doesn't really affect them financially in the short term. And of course they say, yeah, we need to keep it closed. And then you hear obviously bar owners that are really hurting. They want to open it right away. So we need to look at it. And it's not even just Door County. Everybody's focusing on the tourism in Door County and all that. It's, it's as a state, we are really, really hurting. And, you know, financially, I mean, aside from the public health issue, and we are all going to pay a dear price for this later because our budget is blown up. And all of the things that are important to people, education, the roads, the social programs, they're going to take a hit. So we, we really, it's in all of our best interest to get the economy going as soon as we can do it safely. Um, and, and what does safe mean to you? Is that, the, the, do the guidelines that Evers threw out there, does that make you feel safe? Are there other metrics you look to that make you safe or do you feel like it's safe now? Like what? You know, I think that, you know, in my opinion, the medical evidence would say that we are probably at the peak right now. We, we've pretty well plateaued. Now, Green Bay, they had, you know, they've had um, a little bit of a surge. And that's an interesting thing there, the way, you know, the, our meatpacking plants, how vulnerable they are. But that's, a, that's sort of an isolated incident. But I, I think we are at the peak at this point. And, you know, one of the metrics I looked at, I mean, you, you and I have talked about this, which is what they looked at in New York was hospital admissions, because that in, in real time, that's probably the best test because the numbers of positive tests, of course, they're increasing because we're testing so many more people. Although I will give the administration, Evers administration credit, they're basing it on the percent of positives of the number that they're testing, not just on the total number. Because, of course, you test more people, you're going to have more positive. Mm -hmm. But the hospital admissions, that's a pretty unbiased, real-time statistic. And that, we have been declining over the last week or so across the state. It, it, right now, it's about even. It was declining. It's not right about the same last few days. I think partly, mostly that is Green Bay, that you know, they've had a, a bump there. Um, but otherwise, we are declining. And so I think that, uh, yeah, I think we are at least at the peak at this point, which doesn't mean we won't have little outbreaks going forward, or hopefully not major outbreaks, but we'll have some outbreaks. But no matter, no matter how long we keep the, the economy closed down, when we reopen, the virus is still going to be there. And we are going to have people that are going to get sick. There's just, we just have to live with the virus until there's a vaccine, which is, what, a year, a year and a half off. Um, what does that mean? Like the context for Door County, where opening means welcoming tourists, basically. Mm -hmm. Most of them from Milwaukee, Dane County, Fox Valley, Chicago. Right over the border in Chicago, in that northern Illinois region, there are about 30,000 cases right now. So... Wisconsin has about 4,000. You open those doors. Chicago folks are, as soon as we say we're open, those second home owners, even though so many have come up, there are a ton that have stayed away and respected that order. So as soon as we open, mm -hmm. they come up, the hotel's open, the campground's open. What is your level of confidence in our ability to keep that those numbers down and to avoid uh, a calamity if we then welcome all these people from these highly infectious areas? Yeah, well, I mean, 
um, it's going to be a gradual opening, obviously. We, you know, and I think that the, the individual industries are working on that. The tourism industry is working on what are the recommendations going to be for hotels? Do you, you know, only rent every other room and you keep it empty for a period in between guests and disinfectant? And for restaurants, certainly there's going to be social distancing. I've heard one restaurant owner say they want to scan everyone coming in, make sure nobody has a fever. Um, so I think that there are going to be those things in place. And I, and I don't think that if everybody's going to know that, I don't think there's going to be people just flopping here. I don't, you know, because restaurants are going to be limited, hotels are going to be limited. Um, we will certainly have people come here. But, you know, what people really need to remember is that the purpose of the stay at home was to prevent our medical facilities from being overwhelmed, having so many cases at once that we couldn't handle that. And we've done a really good job of social distancing. We've definitely flattened the curve. But that doesn't mean that we've eliminated the disease. That's just impossible. It's not going to happen. So, um, again, we can close it to Labor Day, but it's still going to be, when we, when we open back up, there's still going to be, still going to be there and people are going to get back to check. You know, until we have that vaccine, people are going to be, life's going to be different. We will not have a tourism season like we did last year. Uh, people are going to be much more careful, hopefully. And, and I think for the really vulnerable people, I think for the next year, they're going to have to be extremely careful and with nursing homes and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, of course, there's going to be some that will come up here, you know, likely when we open up. But there's just not going to be a, a way around that, I don't think. So, you don't, so I guess, like, going back to that, like, you are you feel confident that we can handle that influx from those other areas? I think as far as from, from the medical facility standpoint, and, I, and again, I, I, I talk to the people at the medical center, you know, pretty frequently. You know, I think they, I'm not saying we're too, again, we're not to the point yet of reopening, but I think that, they have confidence that we are not going to be overwhelmed at this point where they won't be able to keep up with the patient. And, you know, it's a tough thing because I'm not, obviously everybody, every life is important. And, and, you know, if I had parents that were very vulnerable right now, I'd, I'd certainly be concerned, but it's just that we have to be realistic that there's just no way we are not going to eradicate this disease. Um, so, you know, we just have to be as careful as we can be until we have that vaccine. Um, well, when I look at the Mike Gallagher's outline and Evers outline and the White House's outline, um, well, I shouldn't say as much the White House's outline, um, Gallagher's outline and Evers outline calls for, um, significant increases in testing. Gallagher's number two point was testing, testing, testing. Number three point was hire more officials to be able to contact and trace anybody who tests positive. Those were two criteria that... Congressman Gallagher had very high on his list for reopening for business. What did we do? Did the the relief package that we passed um, in the legislature last week, what did that allow or did that allot any funds for increasing testing and uh, more staff for public health to contact and trace any positives? Yeah, we didn't address it specifically. First off, I mean, one of the most important things in, in passing that was just to make sure that we could maximize everything we could get from the federal government. So there, there's a lot of money coming in. And, you know, the governor, you know, the way the rules are, he has pretty much had unilateral control over that. So he can spend that money, you know, it's a few billion dollars that will be coming in. He can spend that basically wherever he wants. And I think that's a priority for him. Um, so I, I think we will be putting money towards those things. Additionally, we put, you know, we gave um, the Joint Finance Committee control over $75 million that they can spend as it as seats fit, basically, as they see fit as this progresses. But um, primarily it's going to be the federal money because we just don't have money on the state level. We can't borrow like they can. So, um, 
you know, most of the money people are going to be saving in all of these areas is going to be federal money. Because, we, again, we just don't have it. So you haven't seen anything specific to incre- increase contact and tracing and, and testing, not, nothing specific for that? No, we didn't pass anything specifically. But, again, the governor has, you know, complete control over that until, you know, May 12th when his emergency powers expire. So um, he can direct that money where he sees fit on that. So, no, we didn't specifically. But that's part of the plan, obviously. You know, the tracking and the testing is going to be very important. Again, I caution people on the testing. I think there's that misunderstanding. But, um, you know, but nonetheless, that's that's certainly going to be a big part of it. And I, you know, to be honest, I really, really want us, I hope we get to the point where we have the antibody testing available so that we can identify people that have had the disease and have recovered. Because, and... um, by all indications, they're on, um, they, way have, they have way underestimated the number of people that have been infected and never showed signs. I mean, in, in California, they think they maybe underestimated it by 100 fold. And um, yeah, I saw that study that came out of Los Angeles. Um, I haven't read the details on the, how reputable it is yet, um, but it showed, I think, anywhere from like three to five percent of the population may have already been exposed, which might mean anywhere from 100 to 300,000 people. Um, a previous yeah. study out of, I think, in the San Jose area, if I have that right, or maybe Santa Clara, um, that study was, it, it looked like once you read into it, it was very poorly constructed um, and had a whole lot of holes. So I don't know how reputable it was um, by uh, a group out of Stanford. But there are, I mean, certainly far more people have had it um, than we know. And then that, yep. that changes the fatality rate. But the thing on the fatality rate is you almost don't need to go by percentages. Like the, the raw numbers are 40-some thousand dead as we're talking right now, which for those who still argue that it's uh, the flu or a minor thing, like that's two months and it's already surpassed your average flu season. So, um, Right. No, yeah, right. And I'm not interested in that. There's still a lot they don't know about antibodies. I mean, you know, there's some viruses where you get, if you are infected once and get antibodies, you're protected for life, whereas others, you might be, you know, be exposed every year. So they don't know that. But it, it really is good news that there are so many people out there that have recovered because the other way that this is going to be controlled besides the vaccine is that sort of herd immunity where once a certain percentage of the population has antibodies, it really slows the, the spread of it way, way down. And, you know, most diseases they talk about, say, 30% of people having protection. Then, you, then that herd immunity starts kicking in. So, you know, that's, a, that's a, I think, a good development about that. And, you know, when I spoke with Brian Stevens from the hospital this morning, he reiterated that as well, that, that we have vastly underestimated the number of people that were infected and never knew it. Right. So. And then South Korea, of course, now they're having, they've had more than 150 people who they thought they were cleared and recovered have now tested positive for it again, um, which has led to some doubts about whether or not the immunity like who ends up getting immune and it doesn't act like other viruses. That's a very small percentage of cases worldwide. So it's nothing to, to base anything on, but it's just like, there's so many things, like you said about this, that leave doctors going, being very uncertain. Um, even right. when it comes to ventilators, what a lot of doctors, once they were so short on them, found some innovative ways to not put people on a ventilator that actually might've been, you know, the protocol is like you hit a certain point and it's like, you got to vent this guy uh, to keep them alive and give them a chance. But what they realized is by venting them, they were maybe leading to other problems with this disease. So some cases, it was better to not vent them and and see better recovery. So there's, I mean, the 
the data they're going to get out of this at the end of the day is going to be fascinating. It's just, uh, obviously, it comes with so many downfalls to get to that point. Um, right. And, and you're right. And that's what I'm hearing with ventilators as well, that I think, I think people are, you know, minimizing their use now. Here at first, that, that was the big push for my thousands of ventilators. Now they're saying, you know, I mean, most people, once they go on a ventilator, never come off. So they're, they're really trying to not use them if they can help. But they, I think the therapy part of it is coming along quickly. There's so much we don't know, but... Um, you know, I, I would hope that within a few months, I, I'm sure that we will drastically reduce the, the mortality rate on it as, as these other therapies come into play. Um, you know, when you talk about almost any plane I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, but whether it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, um, no politics at all, it says we get moving. Anybody arguing to move the economy is still saying we really have to keep the, our elderly population, if not sheltered in place, like extremely locked down. And our nursing homes, I don't see where there's a window to start admitting visitors into nursing homes or hospice care facilities, anything like we had in the past. So what, what have you seen talked about in terms of uh, how do we make that quality of life better for both the people in nursing homes, but just your average person over the age of 60? Um, even in the governor's plans, it says like encourage employees over 60 years old to stay home or work from home. So, I mean, how does this, has there been discussions on a legislative level about how, how we start to address this? A lot of that will be individual and community decisions on, on how to handle that. And people are going to have to decide for themselves how much risk they're willing to take because, again, until, until we have a vaccine, um, people are going to be at risk. I think certainly nursing homes are going to open. They'll be one. Of, that'll be a place that will open the most slowly and the most carefully. But um, you know that it's going to. That's going to be really tough for the next year. And I and um, you know it's it's just it is. I mean, on a human level, it's just going to be very difficult for families if you can't go visit your parents and that kind of thing. It's just going to be really tough. But there's just no way around that. It's just going to have to be as safe as we can possibly be. But yeah, nursing homes, that's going to be a slow thing. I mean, thank God at least we have technology where we can kind of talk to people that way, but it's, it's obviously not the same. Um, you know, you mentioned something there, and this is something that I've, I've heard repeated a lot of people say, well, you, people are going to have to be responsible for their own decisions and their own choices. That's, that's the rub in all this, though, right? Like, everyone's choice impacts somebody else in this case if you're talking about something highly contagious. So, right. you know... I might say I'm 41, I'm healthy, I feel good, I'm comfortable going to the Piggly Wiggly. Now I'm comfortable going to uh, a church service with 200 people or a bar or a friend's funeral. But then any of those choices impact all those other people at those events. And then when I come back and I go to see my parents, now I'm impacting them, like my 77-year-old parents. So, Or worse, I might impact somebody else's 77-year-old parents. Um, So it's that's a really difficult question. Like to say, all right, we respect, I think businesses will make the right decisions. I think they'll make the right call. Well, there were a lot of bars that didn't seem to be willing to make a pretty common sense decision before the shutdowns, even in New York, where they were asking people and it's across Wisconsin, when they were asking bars to go to um, lower occupancy and take measures. I mean, most places still didn't even have hand sanitizer at the door at that point. So do you, do you feel confident that we're ready to come out of this and, and make those decisions? Well, I mean, we, we have to, and, and that's what I, you know, what I alluded to initially is that we can't just have the government saying, okay, this is what you have to do, blah, blah, blah. We have to 
get buy-in from people. And I, and I grant you, certainly, there are some people, you hit them over the head with a board, and you're still not going to get it, you know. But I, I think the vast majority of Wisconsinites, if we, if we, you know, talk to them like adults, you know, appeal to their reason, and, and we do need to really push that idea that it's not just you that you're impacted. And we had those discussions when, when we talked about meeting at the legislature, you know, going down to, to Madison. It's like, so I'm not really particularly afraid of the virus as far as for my personal health. I think I'm a healthy guy. I'll get over it. But it is what you, how you impact other people that you need to think about. We've got to get past this, especially it's us, us men, I think, that we feel like well, we've got to be the tough guys. We're not afraid of any virus, you know. But mm-hmm. that's not the right attitude, you know. Um, it's, respon- it's, it's responsibility to your neighbors that, that maybe will not get over it if you, if you infect them. So um, that's what we, we need to really appeal to people, you know, to, to get them to do the right thing. But again, not everybody's going to do it, but I think most people have. Um, you know, earlier we talked about the, the governor and his communication with the state. And I think, you know, the, the polls show that most people support the governor's decision to this point. The long arc of it has been pretty consistent with a lot of other states faced with the same issues. So he's not an outlier in either direction for the most part. But I think almost anyone would tell you they'd like to see more clarity. Um, they'd like to right. see when you say we're going to um, shut it down except for essential businesses, like the fact that there was not a list ready to go as soon as that announcement was made of what essential businesses are. And then even now you have people saying like, why is Walmart able to sell pots and pans, but my local small retail store can't? Um, there's, there's lots of inconsistencies with it. Uh, why, why do we trust huge major international corporations, but not our neighbor to, to be able to operate right now? Um, but then you've also, there's also a communication um, divide that you've mentioned in that you also don't get these answers from the governor. And you've said that your leadership and the governor don't meet. Explain what you mean by that. Like, uh, is there really like no communication between the, the parties on the state level right now? Um, there's communication between in the legislature. Like, you know, we worked out that legislation that we passed last week by meeting with the Democratic leaders. And they have been frustrated as well that they are getting no communication from the administration. We um, essentially find out what he's doing when he holds his press conference. So, and I know that, you know, you can argue both ways that, um, that, you know, I know people bring up the lame duck thing and, 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 you know, that we got off to a bad start with the governor as far as having a relationship. But I just think it's, it's gone both ways. And, and we have tried to be involved. I know that the speaker and the, and the majority leader in the Senate have offered to have weekly meetings with the governor. They did that with Governor Walker. So every week they'd have a standing meeting whatever issues, you know, whatever the issue of the day is, they just talk about it and they build a relationship and all that. Well, Governor Evers has not wanted to do that. And now when we get into a crisis, there is no relationship there. And, um, and again, I don't, I really, I, I'm trying to support the governor as much as possible. I know that's what people want in a crisis. They don't want us, they don't want to see partisan victory, but I do wish that we could communicate with him. And cause people have said to me, well, why don't you guys work out a compromised solution on this? It's like, well, because we don't talk, you know, he, they, they've made these decisions without including us. And, you know, and under the emergency powers, he can do that. I don't think it's a smart thing to do because in a few weeks, those are going to be gone. And then everything is going to have to come. You know, we're going to have to reach agreement on these things. So I, I wish we could do that now. Um, you know, on a personal level, I like the governor. I knew him before he was elected governor through education and I like him, but I just think, there has been a lack of communication. And again, we need buy-in from people. And 
you know, if we don't get out and sell it to people and, and have them feel like they're getting the information and all of that, it's going to be a lot tougher to get them to follow. Do you think things like the lame duck session and the efforts to strip power from the governor right when he took office and then even with the first stabs at legislation a couple of weeks ago, the efforts to try and include stripping some powers in that, you know, does that bode well for 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 bridging that gap and working together? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to. Do, I mean, obviously, there were hard feelings over that. I, I don't really want to refight that battle. I guess at this point, you know, I think when you look at the individual, things well, but, that came but out the legislature was just refighting that again like two weeks ago in the midst of this, right? By trying to strip well, other only, powers. No, that, I think that was. I think, well, frankly, I think that was really exaggerated. I, I do not think that that was the purpose at all. It was what that was was where they were allowing joint the joint finance committee to have more power to cut some spending. And the, the reason for that is that if we don't cut this now, we're going to we're going to pay a, a much dearer price in January because we will have to come back and do a bunch of um, If you remember when Governor Walker was elected, the the legislature prior to that, you know, the, the revenues were greatly reduced from the uh, from the recession, and they did not do anything about it. So then, when he came into office, he did the the budget repair bill, which was Act Ten, and. They were some pretty severe cuts. So, you know, that was really the, the purpose of that. It was not to take up power from the governor. It was just to allow them to say, we can't. It was just to allow them that ability and, and to, to be able to cut some of that spending right now where they see areas that could be cut. So I, I don't. Do you, do you think they would I have ever done that with a Republican governor? Um, you know, I, I, I think so. I think that we'd have still wanted joint finance. To, it's hard to say, you know, how it would play out. I think we would still want joint finance to have some ability to make those cuts right now because we can't go in and vote on all these and have it go through the government and everything else like the normal process right now. So that was sort of the, the impetus behind that. And I mean, it was part of the bargaining, though. I mean, we knew that we couldn't do that without their approval. So we would never brought it up if we thought that it would be viewed that way because obviously then the governor wouldn't sign it and he had to sign that bill. So, um, it wasn't like, you know, if you want to compare to the way of thing, it wasn't like that because at that point, Republicans had all the power. He knew with this that he had to sign it. Um, and, you know, it was portrayed that way, but that was not how we viewed it because, again, we have never, it, it, it would have been silly to do something like that knowing that he had to sign it. We'd never have done that. So I, I think that was a little bit exaggerated. And, and right now, there is probably going to be a lawsuit, or, you know, just a challenge to the Supreme Court over the assertion that the uh, Department of Health Services Secretary has the unilateral ability to extend the stay at home for as long as she wants. Um, so that's not trying to take power from the governor, but it is questioning whether an unelected um, HA bureaucrat, because that has needed a connotation, but, you know, bureaucrat, a political appointee, whether she can unilaterally shut our economy down for as long as she sees fit. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think when that was. When, when that office was given authority you know, to declare emergencies, I don't think anyone ever envisioned them shutting down the economy. So we will see how that goes. But, but again, that's not something where it's an attempt to take power from the governor. It's just questioning whether an appointee like that should have that ability. Because once his emergency powers expire on um, May 12th, then it goes back to business as usual. We do have to compromise and work things out. We have a seat at the table. So, What is the way to – is there a way – I mean – this is not new. The Wisconsin politics has been re- very polarized for a decade now. Um, and then we have a crisis like this where it still becomes politicized. Um, and pro- like 9-11 was a big crisis, but it was a national one. Um, mm-hmm. 
the recession was a big crisis, but there's in my lifetime and probably anyone's lifetime going back to World War II, there hasn't been anything that compares to this in terms of its widespread impact on every sector of society. Um, and yet politics are still at the forefront of this. Like, is there a way, not, not talking about the national level, but at the state level, like, is there a way to get past this so that um, the governor is talking to the Republican leaders and the Republican leaders are working with the governor in that everything doesn't have to be like just this constant finding ways to, to make it political. Yeah, I, I wish that there were. I think it, it, it has to start, though, with, with them talking, you know, with, the, with our legislative leaders and the governor talking. It just has to start there. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to certainly be pushing both our leaders and the governor to do everything they can to push for that. Because, again, you can go back and say, oh, it's their fault, it's their fault, whatever. At the end of the day, they need to be grown-ups. I mean, when you're in politics, you know, I have... I've had Democrats for political reasons say some pretty horrible things about me, but you know you still have to work together. You, you have to you have to have a little bit of thick skin and say, look, the people of Wisconsin need us to work. And so it doesn't matter whether Robin Voss and the governor like each other or not. That's irrelevant. They have to work together. So I'm, I'm certainly going to push for that. I think it is in today's climate, it's really difficult. It, it's the same on the national level. I mean, my inclination, I mean, honestly, in any crisis, you support. The, the executive as much as possible, whether that's the president or the governor, you know, that you try to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I have in this, I mean, you know, there have been a couple times, I, I certainly questioned Friday the way that was, all of a sudden it was Memorial Day without any explanation. I've got my questions out. Um, and the world out on that, when he first announced it, he stayed home with it. I questioned that as well. It's just, it's not even the, the policy so much as just you have to communicate. You can't just say these things and not give any explanation and have people all in a panic Right. Well, Joel, we are at about 45 minutes in here. I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else we didn't touch on or anything else you want to mention um, before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I guess the only thing I would reiterate to people is, is that we need to understand what the purpose of the stay-at-home order was and what the expectations are going to be coming out of it. That, you know, the virus is still going to be there. We may have, um, we, we most likely will have some flare-ups in different places. Um, you know, the Green Bay situation there with the packing plants is certainly one of those. I mean, but just because that happens doesn't mean that oh, we, we open too soon or we, you know, we failed. People should not expect that when we reopen, we're not going to have any more cases. And, and we'll have to deal with those locally. And that's what in the, the Dodger uh, bounce back plan that on an individual, you know, small area, when we have these things come up, then yeah, we may have to put in more measures temporarily in those places to get in control and all of that. So I just want people to be realistic about what to expect coming forward, because we are going to be living with this virus for at least another year. So that means we have to continue social distancing. We have to protect our most vulnerable. It, it's not going away, you know. Um, so you know, we have never eradicated something like this. And, you know, sort of like with AIDS, you know, we've got a lot better over time, and, and now the mortality rate's very low, and I'm sure that will happen here as well. But it's not something we're going to live a little bit. All right. Well, Joel, thanks so much. I think that's a really important reminder at the end. Um, anybody who thinks that like opening up means we flip that switch and we we just start having salad days again, um, that's probably not realistic. So, um, yeah, life is going to be different. 
Yep. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today and for a pretty frank discussion. I appreciate it. And uh, I know that you, we can't always get that out of our representatives. So I really appreciate that from you, Joel. Um, thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Miles. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.